Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome back to the channel. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about the secrets of actually becoming an influencer, popular topic right now. We've been covering that a lot on the channel with some of our sponsors, and we've actually talked about it quite a bit before here on the podcast, but I want to bring in a special guest in order to help me with tonight's topic. So let's go ahead and welcome him. And now, this week's special guest, bursting with ideas and ready to share them with you. Yo, 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 what's up? Justin Moore in the house. Stoked to be here. Thanks, Roberto. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Justin. So for like the uh, five people in my audience who have no idea who you are, why don't you tell us a little (laughs) bit about yourself? Give them the 30-second version or the 60-second version elevator pitch of who Justin Moore is. Let's go. Uh, I am uh, the founder of Creator Wizard. I'm a sponsorship coach. I help you find and negotiate your dream sponsorship so that you stop leaving thousands on the table. I've been creator, a big creator along with my wife for over 10 years. Uh, started the first YouTube channel in 2009. We've made over $3 million on brand deals and sponsorships over the years. Wow. Uh, and so this is my area of expertise. I've run an influencer marketing agency for about six years. So I have both sides of it as a creator, as well as running an agency. And I'm stoked to dig into it today. That's the ver- That's a big difference in perspective. And I'm glad you brought that up. Huge different perspective. Tell me a little bit about how you and your wife got started in YouTube, what your journey looked like, what videos you guys made, how you guys discovered YouTube in the first place. Yeah, so it was definitely my wife, not me. I was in, <clears throat> I'm an engineer by my background, um, and uh, I was in medical devices <laughs> at the time. And so this reminds just, me of my friend Benji Travis. His wife was the YouTuber. Yeah. He was the real estate guy backing it, her up behind the scenes. Exactly. I just would chatted with Benji, caught up a couple of days ago. Like you know, him and I, th- we have very similar stories to them. Like, um, you know, my wife April started her first YouTube channel in 2009, uh, and this was back before the partner program. Couldn't make money on YouTube. Very. I was around hobby. back then. Yeah, it's like the I, I feel like a, we would call OG YouTubers, right? It's like we are. We you know, are. It was like we got into it. it it's very that's different early from YouTube. Those, that's like the first yeah, three years. That's before everything. It is. Yeah. yeah, and like you know, honestly, people coming into it now, it's like you can come into it and be like, oh, I'm gonna make money on this someday. But in the beginning, like none of us, it was the wild west. None nothing. of us was like, oh, we could make. Yeah, we could make. And the website was clunky as hell. Do you remember yeah, that? Super there was no, there wasn't even five star ratings back then. I'm sorry, there wasn't no. thumbs up, thumbs down. Everyone's complaining about the thumbs down <laughs> counter going away. We had five star ratings. Yeah, seriously, it was like I remember uh, first YouTube video was like the letterbox on the side. Yes. You know, it was, just, it was like very early days. And remember, so, we could use you, HTML code like MySpace. Yeah, seriously, it was it was like completely different experience. <laughs> they like you don't think people remember what it was like. I remember like e-bombs world, like way back in the day. You know, like what we were what we were getting excited about, like actually watching video on the internet, right? So it was just like you know early days. So her first YouTube channel was about uh, beauty, cosmetics, skincare products. So for her, like getting free products in the beginning yeah. was like mind-blowing like really you're gonna send me free products and so like that was the the big exciting thing you know in 2009 2010 free stuff free stuff right and in the early days like i think like the major inflection point i think for us both of us was like this the first brand approached with a like actually offering to compensate us like that was like what are you talking about like how are we going to do that and so my wife was like they sent this contract and i here i am in business school like i couldn't help with this right and so i'm like reading the contract i i remember vividly like asking our family lawyer to like look at the contract and she was like what is this like what are you doing you're making money on the internet like what right and so bless her heart like you know and so that was like the very early days none of us had any idea what we were doing um you know got made all sorts of mistakes you know agreeing to like do tons of posts for like peanuts um and so it's just like that is the perspective that we came at this from is like making every mistake in the book pretty much um and and so yeah it transitioned from like me being behind the camera you know to us me being in front of the camera starting a family vlog channel cooking channel uh you know we've got about 1.5 million followers across all of our platforms now and so it's just like nice this is very this has very much been the family business but i you know i quit my full-time job six weeks when, after my first son six months born. after 
No, it was so, um, uh, after your first child was born. So how many years in? Was born. How many years in before you quit your job to become full time? And at what point did she become full time? So she became full time two years prior to, than I did because I still kind of like had the full time job. You know, so how long after two thousand nine was yeah, that? Yeah. So she so she quit. I believe she quit in two thousand. 2015 because our son was born in 2017 so six so, years six or 2014 years. sorry sorry 2012 2012. 2012 2012 is when she quit so three years after so and three then years I, after okay yeah and then i quit and in then, 2014 and then you quit in 2014 2015 mm -hmm. so like that actually sounds a lot like a typical side hustle to business transition of mm -hmm. you need three years to five years to build something that's profitable sustainable can provide a decent lifestyle still maintain margins still cover expenses and is reliable enough to actually not feel like it's a massive risk and anxiety attack. Do you mind telling uh, us how much y'all were making per year at that time from YouTube yeah, so, and influencer and so on? Yeah, I remember. So like, I remember us, the, the number of $10,000 a month, that was like for us, the number that we had like picked as like, yeah. once we were making that in incremental income, above my nine to five salary. Cause like, you know, when I quit that money was gonna go away. Like my full time Yeah, exactly. Income, right? You're gonna go and down so, in income streams. You're gonna lose a little yeah. income stream. Yeah, you're the gonna lose an income stream. The thing yeah, I'm exactly. the multiple income streams get a new mm -hmm. one every year. Yeah. And, and so that was our logic was like, okay, once we hit that, like I have to quit. Cause, cause I looked at it as an opportunity cost. What could we make if I focus six, four, 60 hours a week on you know just our creator business effort um, to so, dollar ratio that i call that effort to dollar effort ratio to do yeah exactly and so like that was once we hit that it was shortly after because i remember when i quit everyone thought i was nuts you have a newborn baby like how could you do this and i kept telling people look like we have been planning for this for two years that once i would hit this threshold we would we would make this change well you had a newborn baby yeah and you were making six figures and you yeah. had the option to choose your time mm -hmm. your value your lifestyle with nobody dictating how you are part of your family. So they asked, how could you do this? How could you not? Right, right. Uh, the, the thing I've always talked about, you know, this idea of quitting your full-time job, uh, I think it's a really important one, which is that I, everyone said that like, you know, this is so risky. How could you do this? And in my like opinion, if there's any sort of economic instability, your company won't think twice to fire you immediately. Right. We and saw so, that in the last two years. Yes, exactly. You saw that in the last two years. And so when you're a creator, the likelihood of your income going to zero is very unlikely. Like if you're a YouTuber, like, yeah, maybe if your viewership starts declining, it's not going to be unless you get demonetized. It's going to be a slow and steady decline declines where you have some time to start trying to diversify your revenue streams. Well, no one's views go to zero out of exactly nowhere. no one. Exactly. And so it's much I believe if you can build up a robust income stream as a creator. It's a much less risky career than having a nine to five job. And it also diversifies your income sources in a way that a nine to five job doesn't. And it actually makes it non-linear to your time and effort and your physical energy, your human capital. So it decouples. What I tell people is that being a content creator, once you pass a certain amount of years and you've built it up and you've, if you've monetized it properly, which as you know, is what I'm really trying to teach. If I have a vertical within the creator economy, your vertical is largely specializing in brand deals, super narrow niche down, which I love because you're the encyclopedia of brand. Actually, that's how I kind of refer to you as the encyclopedia of brand deals. You know, what I do or what I like to do is I, I focus kind of on six ways that creators and influencers make money. And I try to teach people those six ways. And that's the money part of like what I talk about, aside from also the business structure, those things, business 101 for creators, is I try to teach them, here are your monetization streams. I try to teach them also marketing language and jargon from the world we came from. I came from advertising and marketing. I worked at an ad agency for over a year in New York, uh, mostly in sports entertainment cable stuff. So print out of home, some digital and all the OH stuff. Mm -hmm. But also I did the marketing at a host, a web hosting company which means wow. that I have the creative technology and marketing and advertising background and the money conversations because when I worked at the web hosting company, all of our customers were basically online business owners because why else would you have web hosting for the most part? Like they right. were, it's e So early days e-commerce, early days web hosting, all that stuff. Like, because um, again, um, before the 2010s even, you know? So um, I was in the industry back then. I was like, you know, in like 2000, like 
six, seven, something like that. So like right, the um, for throughout a couple of years afterward and everything like that, leaving the industry around like 20, like 12 or whatever. Right. So I've been solo doing this stuff for like a, almost a decade now. And but I came from the traditional version of it. I came from the traditional mm-hmm. version of it, web and graphic right. design. So I understand the branding that comes into being an influencer before you could ever be an influencer. I had a blog. I had a blog back in 2006, 2007 as a creative and freelancer um, that I'd started like, I think during college and I'd been building websites since like 1999 because I taught myself HTML at 13. I taught myself video editing before YouTube ever came out and I was making like anime music videos and (laughs) like movie trailers before YouTube ever existed back in the days of Bear, Share, Napster, LimeWire. And I bring all this up because I'm trying to illustrate the importance of the skill sets that give someone an advantage in the influencer world and how priming themselves for opportunity matters because your Mm. background made you a prime candidate for this being not risky. Mm. And it meant that when the opportunity of new platforms, new income sources, new uh, ventures, when the creator economy matured, you were prepared for the opportunity that presented itself now. And you had to learn from nothing just like I did. Yeah, Today, yeah. people have us. They didn't have to get these lessons firsthand. They're getting them secondhand from us. Right. We paid the dues. I'm not trying to brag when I say we paved the way, but I'm saying we had to go from a traditional world that was much more rigid and harder into a virgining digital world and be the uh, path you know, uh, makers, the map makers, and get the arrows in our back and make the mistakes. Now the frameworks that we present which some people still have skepticism around are all those lessons. And it's like, there are less traps and arrows and less uh, wilderness to be explored. We've made those maps and yeah, we're selling you the maps and we're selling (laughs) you the shovel to El Dorado, but we have the right to do that because we took the arrows and we bit and we made the damn maps and we cut down the jungle. Like we did it. Like we were there, we were there uh, in the early days. Like we've been Mm -hmm. at it for a long time, 10 years, like I said, and it didn't come from nothing. We had to have the skills to survive that wilderness. Well, I think that like one of the most important like, like insights from that story is that, you know, sometimes it takes grinding something out and having the foresight and the vision to be like, no, you know what? I think this thing is going to be something in two years or three years. Everyone wants to come into it and make money immediately, you know, not blow up in two months. put in the work. Yeah. Blow up in two months and like reap the rewards. Like a great example of this is that, um, my wife and I started doing live commerce about 18 months ago. So Amazon live, like, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things. investment. Yeah. There's been a lot of investment being poured into the space right now. Um, you know, pretty much all the major social platforms are investing in this Instagram shop, you know, live shopping, live stream like, and live commerce experiences yes. are the future of consumerism. The yeah. pandemic paved the way on the timing on that, the technology 100%. was developed before, but the pandemic made it reality in my opinion, it gave it its moment. Yeah. And it, honestly, like in the early days, like for us, you know, we, at, by that time when we started doing this, like, you know, 18 months ago, we had been creators for a decade, but it was like, we saw, we were like, this is the future. We are going to invest in this. We're going to upgrade our equipment. We're going to like understand how to, you know, be dynamic in a live environment, interact with a live audience. Cause we've live streamed, but it's different to like yes. talk about products and like, it's just a very different thing. And so like fast forward to today and we have made hundreds of thousands of dollars in 18 months doing live streaming on Amazon live. And so it's like, like from sponsorships and, you know, commissions and all this, there's just like, like for us, like this is a completely new revenue stream that didn't exist in our business 18 months ago. Right. And so it was like, but we had the foresight because we relied on our experience as creators and said like, Hey, like this is something we should invest in. Even though we're really busy right now, this, this could carry the next 10 years of our life as creators. Yeah. So it's like, if those inflection points and those moments that you have to look at and like, maybe I'm going to invest a bunch of time for the next 12 months, I'm not going to see much return, but I the have time the will pass. this. Well, yeah, the time will pass anyway. Yeah. Here's the thing. I look at it like this, you will win or you will learn. Mm, What's the downside to having the skill set of being a live streamer, even if you don't make money or you get out of it immediately? What's the downside to learning everything about live streaming, learning everything about live um, audio, learning everything about video codecs, learning everything um, about interacting with a live audience, becoming a better orator, public speaker, becoming a better interviewer and learning to ask questions, learning to actively listen, which you can see I'm getting better at is to work on it. It's learning how to make jokes in real time, learning how to operate a soundboard. What Mm -hmm. is the downside to walking away with that knowledge, even if you don't make a dollar up front, 
because if nothing else, you could sell that information, that expertise, or it could give you another opportunity, qualifies you for other jobs. What is the 100%. downside to the knowledge? And what is the downside to a body of work that demonstrates the ability to execute? It's actually like a great segue into this conversation about sponsorships, because like, take that example. Um, like, for example, as there's all these brands getting excited and reading all these industry articles about live commerce and stuff, they're, they're all of a sudden they go, they call up their agency and they're like, oh crap, what's our live commerce strategy, right? And so the agency's like, okay, well, let's go hire some creators. Like, let's go, you know, try this out. And so if you as a creator have built up, you know, this body of expertise over the last 12 months um, to get really good at this thing, who's to say that you can't be a host for this brand, it doesn't have to just be on your platform. You could say, hey, like, I, I know you're trying to figure this out. What if I, the pitch to them is, what if I become your live commerce host for your Amazon storefront or for, you know, your, uh, on your YouTube channel for a lot, you know, YouTube shopping or exactly. whatever. Like, you I get can to do pitch this. yourself as a host and yes. then you get to charge yes. specifically a fee around that. And the thing is, it's exactly. on their platform. And when that happens, your viewers numbers and your uh, follower counts and your stats and your data don't matter. Cause the exactly. thing is they would need a face and they would need an actor or they would need an actress or they need a brand ambassador, no matter what it is. If they can have a subject matter expert, they win. If they can have someone who already does have a following, the value of that is not them. Oh, you bring your following with you. It's that you're not a rookie. You're not green. You know how this works. You respect and treat our brand like it's your own. You know how to not to make the faux pas. That is the value. People don't understand their value as a brand ambassador because when I tell people to charge you, let's talk about this conversation. When I tell people to charge, I tell them, let's imagine for a minute, you don't even have a platform anymore, but you have the look or the lifestyle or you represent and embody what the brand is or what the customer is and you live the lifestyle and you know the thing better than anybody. So now you're the model and you're the actor and the actress and you can't charge off of your views and subscriber counts anymore. Now, how are you going to charge? I tell exactly. them, I don't tell them what to charge, but I tell them, start thinking and understand that your performance and your delivery and that, that has a value. Your, mm -hmm. So your representational value as an ambassador and spokesperson, imagine only being paid because you're a spokesperson, like back in the nineties before follower counts mm -hmm. existed. You're a spokesperson, you're a model right. that commands a price. You also have respect your reputation, that commands a price. But, oh, you're the creative director for the content. You're writing the script. You're doing editorial. You realize if you were working for the company, they have to pay you a salary. That has a price. Or right. if you were working for an ad agency, you realize that has a price. The other thing, too, is that, like, I think a lot of crews don't realize is that because you have an organic distribution channel, that is massively valuable. When a brand goes out, like you said, and hires actors, actresses, a full production crew to actually shoot it. Once they create the asset, they still have to pay YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to serve for the distribution. Ad. Yeah, for distribution, right? So it's just like on top of everything that you do yeah. for them, they can run this ad. And so, yeah, and you know, one other quick point to that, um, which is really critical, is that not only you know are you kind of the face and the star of that content, but um, you have tremendous expertise that you've built up that brands will charge you just to help them be less stupid, right? Yeah. So you, they'll like hire you as a consultant and be like, Hey, I you do, may do, not, you may do. not think, yeah, you may not think that 10,000 subscribers is a lot on your channel, but like to a brand, they're just like, wow, 10,000 subscribers. There are brands, there are yeah. brands <laughs> that break in millions of dollars a year that have budgets for consultants that pay people less educated than you. If you have. There are brands that have less than 10,000 followers and subscribers in their platform. There are brands that have a million subscribers on YouTube and can't even break 2,000 views per upload. And it's kind of, I see it all the time. I won't name any names, mm -hmm. but you can find brands that have one to 2 million subscribers and cannot break 1,000 uh, to 2,000 views per upload. And guess what? You might be valuable to them because you're doing better than that with less subscribers. Like you might be, you might know something. You might be able to have more organic distribution and authority over their product or hardware or software than they do. And people do not think about this. And part of it, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Justin, is some of it also just living in this comparison, this influencer world where all they do is if I don't have a million views or a million subs, I'm nothing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a big part of it. I have a, a rather hyperbolic video on my YouTube channel called 
how to get sponsorships with zero subscribers. And it talks about a lot of this stuff because it's like, oh, I love everyone, that is so, title. Every, <laughs> everyone is so fixated on this idea of, you know, viewership or followers. And like, I'm not, you know, I can't, the, the most toxic thing is like when a brand one time told them like, oh, we only work with creators who have 10,000 subscribers or whatever. And then that's stuck in your head for some reason as like this arbitrary threshold that you think you need to hit to start working with brands. And I tell people like, you literally, there's no number. Like they all, everyone always wants to know what's the number that I know. Like today, today is the number, whatever subscriber number you have, that's the amount, right? You, all you have to do is go out and craft a very compelling pitch and proposal to a brand of how you are going to help them accomplish how you're going to create this business objective. Yeah. Well, it's, no it's, one knows like, how, no one knows that. Cause remember you saw this tweet. I put out a tweet where I said, all right, so how do you create a hundred thousand dollars worth of value for a brand? And no, almost nobody had an answer. They all wanted to know, well, what are you going to say, Roberto? Like, well, I'm like, I could tell you all my master plan, but I might decide to put that behind the membership like or something. But, but, um, as far as a hundred, cause I could tell y'all uh, like a plan to get $10,000 on a brand deal, but like a hundred thousand dollars, I think I should like, I think you should pay money to hear what I have to say about how to get a hundred thousand dollar brand deal. Um, like, and I'm talking from a single brand relationship, but I'll tell you the, the teaser on that. And you tell me what you think the teaser on that for me is I think that what you pitch a brand on is it's $100,000 or $120,000 for the year. So either way, like, or it could even be more, honestly, but my, my answer to it is if you want somewhere between $8,500 a month from a brand in a 12-month relationship, which is what would get you to about $105,000, so $100,000, in my mind, the only question, if you feel that you have the confidence to create value for the brand, you have the authority and the subject matter expertise, the answer is how many deliverables is that? And the thing is, you could let the brand move the goalpost on how many deliverables is worth $100,000 to them. But what I would look is the line item of the contracts of, for these 12 months, part of what makes me worth $100,000 or $120,000, $10,000 a month, $8,500, or $10,000 a month, what makes me valuable to that is for that amount of money, I will keep your five biggest competitors name out of my mouth and out of all my social media platforms for 12 months. Mm -hmm. So number one, you've bought exclusivity and bought me out and eliminated my opportunity cost of working with your top five competitors in any capacity for 12 months. So that's number one which is why it's also, in my opinion, good to pick verticals for your brand deals of, if you're me, here is my email marketing sponsor, if I'm going to do that, or here's my web hosting sponsor. Here is my audio sponsor for like Epidemic Sound, or here's my live streaming software sponsor, um, you know, StreamYard, or here is, and I don't work with somebody else in live streaming, or here is my podcast hosting platform that I uh, promote, whatever that would be, or here's the microphone company that I work with, or here's the lighting company that I work with. Here is like, here are five product verticals or even 10 product verticals. And so that means I have the option of exclusivity and I can auction off that exclusivity. I could auction off, okay, video editing. Hey, Adobe, what's up? Like I could auction off exclusivity in that vertical and say, okay, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't mention the other video editing companies for 12 months. Well, that's worth $120,000 a year, almost even then, just right then and there on top of deliverables. I could say, hey, for 12 months, any content I do make surrounding our sponsorship, you can use those things and run and do ads. You can whitelist stuff for ads. I can option you licensing during that 12-month cycle for any of the video materials that are produced for 12 months after they're produced. So even mm -hmm. on month 12, you have 12 more months where you can use my likeness and my face from that whatever the last thing that was produced was. So that makes that worthwhile because it's a line item in, okay, exclusivity, that's opportunity cost for me. Licensing my face and my likeness in a limited cycle, not in perpetuity, but in a limited cycle of 12 months after publish, that's worth something because that extends a relationship and you can use that to generate revenue and sales using my credibility, okay? So that is one more vertical there. And then um, the another uh, vertical is, well, all right, we can talk about the creative control provisions in, do you have you, your ad reads are in the first third of the video? 
instead of in the second third or the final third of the video your ad reads we can negotiate on okay if it's more deliverables the ad reads can be shorter if it's less deliverables i can let them be longer so we can mm -hmm. negotiate between 30 60 and 90 seconds on ad reads in my case i know that i'm making videos that are 16 to 20 minutes anyway so how bad is it to give you a minute or 90 seconds because it's not even a tenth of the video so right. the audience can't complain too much we have to negotiate like and what i would negotiate is uh i get to turn on ads from day one and the most i'm willing to do is in as far as google let me uh try to block some of your competitors from running ads during on on the on videos on my channel and that's about as right. far as i can go to help you on that but i'm gonna other than that let me take my ad revenue or i gotta charge you even more than the hundred thousand or hundred twenty thousand a year and so mm -hmm. again and then it's just, well, how many deliverables do y'all want? And is it just my YouTube channel? What about the rest of my social media? What about my email list? What about my Instagram? What about my Twitter? And so you tell me, Justin, did I structure like $100,000? Okay, because I didn't even go into the full details of how someone charges $100,000. But I, did I structure yeah. $100,000 brand deal correctly? So the way I look at this is I think that there's definitely the, the building blocks of a really compelling opportunity for a brand there. However, I would argue... Uh, something slightly differently um, to make it way more than that, Roberto, because um, I actually believe that the the key to charging six figures for a single brand relationship is not really about the amount of volume of work that you're actually going to deliver to them. It's that number is two things. It's one is being associated with you, not just your name and likeness. It's being associated with you, you have, you, in, at least in my opinion, and I think a lot of people is that you are looked at as kind of the, the creator advocate on the internet, right? You're, you're looking out for people, you're helping them make money or talking about work-life balance, mental health, all this stuff. And so for a brand to be associated with you, even loosely is extremely valuable because that rubs off on their reputation. And so at that point, it's, it has nothing to do with the deliverables. It doesn't matter if you're doing five videos or 10 videos or 15 or 100, right? It's because they are associated with their, maybe there's a section on their website where they can say, Roberto Blake is an ambassador of our brand or whatever. Right. Right. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing too, is that having you as a backstop for them where they can say, hey, maybe once a quarter, you're going to get on a call with our full marketing team and you're going to advise us on our marketing strategy, right? So at that point, it's again, not about the deliverables. It's about being able to tap into your expertise. It's the relationship. It's the relationship and that that's what you're charging for. And so that's one of the things that I, you know, teach my students in my courses and on my channel and stuff like that is that you have to get out of this box and being like, everyone wants to be like, hey, here's this little box brand and I'm gonna stuff you in here. This is the only way yeah. you can work with me, <laughs> right? And and the moment that you just like explode the box and just put some dynamite in it and explode it, yes. you, can start, you can start thinking about all these other ways this. in which you can, you can provide value to a brand. I love this. And for those of you just tuning in or uh, who have been listening on double speed, <laughs> this is Justin Moore, the creator wizard himself. Make sure you're checking him out. I've linked in the description and in the show notes to his newsletter that's gonna give you great opportunities uh, and make you aware of brand deals each and every week. And he teaches a great course on brand deals. I haven't taken it myself, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. And this is uh, the guy. This is the guy. And he has the, the right experience because he's been on the agency side and the creator side as a decade of experience. And he knows what he's talking about. And I'm just enjoying our conversation and our back and forth here. And no, that's great. And I love that you said that. It's like what we always talk about. It's your skills and abilities, and it's also your expertise and the fact that you can expand the relationship. One of the things I do in my media kit, one of the things I do in my media kit is I list out a lot of these different opportunities for brands to work with me. I can be a host at your event, or I can help work your booth, or I can incorporate you into an article on LinkedIn where I have a much higher reputation value than just a passive YouTube view that might be, you know, someone blowing off steam. It's like the LinkedIn stuff is very valuable. And I'm one of the mm -hmm. only people in the industry that has more than 10,000 followers in LinkedIn. Um, so like, and that, cause 10,000 followers in LinkedIn is equivalent to like a hundred thousand in YouTube. Like mm. people don't realize that having an email list is like having a hundred thousand people in YouTube. People don't realize that, mm -hmm. um, an email list scale proportionately, you know, this, if you have 10,000 people on email list, that's a hundred thousand dollar email list 
people I know who make seven figures, they have 100,000 people on their email list. They have 50 to 100,000 people minimum to make seven figures. You have 5,000 to 10,000 minimum you make you know, to make $100,000. The email list is extraordinarily valuable. Email oh, lists can even be valuable for sponsorships. I know people who charge five grand for a sponsorship of their newsletter. Let me, I, let me, let me tell you, I, I'll give you real numbers. I just inked a newsletter sponsorship. I, mm-hmm. okay, I have uh, just over 3,000 creators on my newsletter now, and mm-hmm. I just landed a $2,000 sponsorship for four email blasts, okay? So this is a, a perfect That's example great. of because That's, I love when it. I, yeah, when I started the newsletter, I, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I'm gonna like monetize this through sponsorships, but it just, because I'm like, uh, like curating uh, a community of it's it's a very specific type of creator it's someone who is yes. business minded who's wanting to make money who's looking for brand you know uh, trying to diversify their revenue stream so that likely persona, already making money yeah likely already ma- making money and looking to will probably purchase software subscriptions per, you because know, they're products. taking it seriously because they're taking it seriously. they're just not they're not someone messing around on tiktok right and so it's like that to a to a creator economy startup or a brand who is looking to get in front of creators is very or, valuable yeah. to premium audience right or a creator a creator driven um software as a service product and everything like that a stream yard a tube buddy a vid iq a whoever well, yeah, well, and epidemic other, sound any number of there's like 20 yes different various service-based oriented companies exactly. that specialize in creators right now. There's more than 20 to 30 mm-hmm. of them. And now we have uh, about a really like five I really like, but there's like 10 or 20 creator economy startups. So there's like five that I'm really aware of that I really like a lot. So yeah. And, and the other, the other thing too, is that any creators in like listening to this about if you have, you thinking like, Oh, I have like a really specific niche. Like uh, why would I need a newsletter? All this stuff. Like, let me, let me tell you my, <laughs> My we'll again, my newsletter is all about sponsorships. That's all it's about. And I had the last time I launched my the cohort of my course, I had twenty two hundred around twenty two hundred creators on there, and I made forty two thousand dollars from the course launch. So, like, I love it. L- listen to that. Listen to that. Like, if you have premium products, courses, things like that, it doesn't matter the size of your audience. If you are de- like delivering something that's has like tremendous value to the community that you serve, I guarantee you that my uh, upcoming book. Uh, create something awesome. My upcoming book that releases in August of 2022, hopefully it releases on time. Uh, like the, that's the plan. My book, I guarantee you that my audience can make me an Amazon bestseller through my email list or through my Twitter alone that I guarantee yes. it. I guarantee it. And that's powerful. And the thing is every creator should be looking at something like that. I'm also going to be encouraging more creators, even entertainment based creators to, to consider self-publishing, if not trying to get a publishing deal, consider self-publishing and let your audience support you and be able to add bestseller to your bio for the rest of your life, or at least be able mm-hmm. to add author to your bio for the rest of your life. Watch what happens though. You get to add author or bestseller your value on brand deals and sponsorships will increase. And if you want to do public appearances or speaking engagements, whether you're entertaining or educating, your value goes up the minute you have a book and the minute that you're, you can say bestseller, even if it's Amazon bestseller, your value goes up. Like watch mm-hmm. the value skyrocket. Watch how serious people take you skyrocket. It's also a good way to get verified in Instagram finally is to be a book author. <laughs> you can finally get verified. If you're a bestseller right. or a book author, you have an ISBN number. You can finally get into Wikipedia and you finally get that Instagram verified badge. <laughs> That's going to be my secret to doing it. Yeah. But we got a great – we got a super chat from uh, Scott T. Um, Auric Unity, $10 super chat. Thank you for the donation. We always appreciate the financial support. Uh too much value here. Found Justin from Berto's Twitter. Justin's newsletter is fire. It is. It is indeed. And so one of the other good reasons to have a newsletter is, I mean, we have to talk about this. It's not super controversial, but I know people feel some kind of way about it. Look, there's, there is, excuse me, just the possibility, whether you're intentional or not, that your platform can be compromised in some way. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're shadow banned or demonetized, although those things do happen and wrongfully sometimes but it could also now, unfortunately, you have to worry a lot more about hackers and phishing schemes and uh, things like that. So mm-hmm. your newsletter and email list is the direct access to let your community know what is going on with you. And social media doesn't let you DM every single person following you to avoid spam purposes and things like that. That's why YouTube took away our messaging on the back end of, of the stuff. And so uh, if anything happens, having a way to let your audience know what's up and reach your most diehard followers is very important. I, I did yeah. it. I, one of my best performing videos over the last two years was a video about social media is over, why you need a newsletter and an uh, mm. a email list and a website. Like, mm-hmm. and that video did like 180,000 views because people wow. were feeling it. People were uh, mm-hmm. feeling the anxiety because. 
people found any number of things that they were true about, even when they were advocating for things that are sensitive topics, advocating for mental health or, or victims or abuse, they were finding that the thing that I'm talking about that's t- terrible that happened to somebody triggered an algorithm somewhere. And so I can't even speak up like in some cases, or you can't speak up as a victim or, or to protect victims sometimes without being shadow banned or suspended or it was ridiculous. Now things right. have improved or God forbid impersonations happen in sometimes and then stuff gets flagged. It's like things have improved on some of those fronts and sometimes not. And, and it just depends. And the goalpost keeps moving. That is right. terrifying. So again, the best thing you could do is say, no matter what, if you Google me, you're going to find my website. Or if you type my name in or my brand in, you're going to find my website. And I have this newsletter so that I can reach 3,000, 10,000 people. And God forbid I ever have to start over. It's not from zero. Yeah. And, you know, the other really like kind of cool byproduct of having a newsletter, this is very much like a, it aligns with kind of my perspective on the creator space, which is that I like a lot of creators look at it from this scarcity mindset where it's just like it's a zero sum game. Like if that person is doing well or getting a sponsorship like that, somehow that's bad for me. And my perspective is like that is this is growing the creator economy for more and more dollars to be being poured into this with venture capitalists as well as advertisers like this benefits everyone and so the, one of yes. the cool things about having a an email list that i actually didn't realize until i started growing mine is that i can highlight people that i love creators who are yes. doing cool stuff you know like oh this person's doing a workshop or this watch this video i think it's amazing like and i can have three thousand people go and like watch this video from this person that and it's like i don't care about getting money in return or like anything it's more just like i love being able to have a platform so i can rise like grow i like, take you know raise other people up you know i take pride when i share somebody else's thing in my like community tab in youtube and then it becomes their most watched video of all time like, I, I'm sorry, but I take a little bit of pride when my audience does that for somebody, when my audience yeah. does that for somebody and I promote, like there was a, there was a small YouTuber, uh, I think two or three years ago that uh, has since kind of like what he starts doing is now he does personality dissections or personality analysis of influencers and content creators. Uh, I shared one or two of his videos. You probably know who I'm talking about. I shared one or two of his videos in the early days of his stuff in my community tab and he they instantly became his most watched videos well i i must say i have personal experience with this because you also shared the video that i made analyzing your brand deal strategy and same thing like I, it did like way better than outside's performance relative to my other videos so i, I could speak firsthand on on that and, and impact, it deserved you know? and the thing is your content deserved and it deserved to reach a wider audience and i was flattered and i really liked what you did and it was like it was smart you, you literally used the correct information from all of my videos uh about it and added your own insights to it i think you accurately predicted what my future like revenue turned out to be or something like that because I ended up doing like um, over a hundred thousand dollars in brand deals uh, last year. I think it, I think the final number now that I've tallied it is like something like 160,000. I have to do my, wow. how much I earned last year video. I still haven't done that. I'm late on that video, but like uh, I think it was in brand deals and brand deals with 160,000 for the entire year of 2021, it was 400,000 versus 2020 was 300,000. So uh, 25%, I think growth or some 25 or 30% growth or something like that. Tremendous. Couldn't have expected that, especially in yeah. pandemic year. Like, right. yeah, great. So I'm not complaining at all, but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I realized that, wait a minute, I could have done a quarter million in brand deals. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, um, so like, and again, it was also, I analyzed and I watched every video on your channel from everybody else that I know about everyone I know. I watched the videos about everyone I know. I was like, aha. And so I, there were some things even I picked up. I was like, hmm. And so there, there's a, there's so much value in being able to share other people's content and highlight it. And it's not about taking any credit for their success. It's just about knowing that your communities are aligned and knowing that you can have the impact outside of your own brand to affect Mm -hmm. somebody else like that, which is also what the sponsors and brands are looking for. They Mm -hmm. are looking for your ability to elevate someone outside of yourself. And will your audience take your word seriously enough to do something about it? Mm -hmm. With that in mind, I have a segue question for you. Yeah, You've worked as an insider. We have a rare scoop here. You've worked as an insider in agency. (laughs) Tell me what a brand wants, what a brand needs. (laughs) Like, Whatever I didn't know there was going to be a, a happy and makes yeah. me money. <laughs> like, 
I didn't know there was going to be a musical interlude, but I'm here for it. Um, so I'm thankful for my sponsors yeah, supporting me. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> what a it brand going. wants. What a brand needs. <laughs> so okay. I might pay for some. I might pay. Uh, oh wait, I gotta call Peter Hollins. So he'll make the cover for me. Yes, exactly, man. It's gonna go platinum. I can text Peter. Yeah. So here's the deal. This is a like one of the most critical thing takeaways that I want everyone listening to to hear from this, which is that. Brands do and agencies do a huge amount of tire kicking on your social presence before they ever reach out to you. Okay, so this is the way it works. So let's say that a brand decides like, oh, we want to run an influencer campaign. They will yeah. call up their agency and they'll say, hey, agency, we want to run an influencer campaign. Can you put it put together a strategy for us? So the influencer agency says, okay, I'm gonna, you know, they go back in their cave and they do their strategy. They come back to the brand. They said, hey, we think you should work with. 10 YouTubers, like YouTube is the platform that we should activate on. The brand says, okay, great. Go find us a short list of people that you think would be good. So the agency goes back and they say, okay, let's develop a short list of 25 people, right? And then they go back to the brand. They go to your, and then basically what they do is they go and they search <laughs> using either software, which is called like uh, so, like influencer discovery software. There's all these platforms out there. that Is there any software to. that you know that they're using that a lot of them are using? Um, so the, a lot, what most of them are doing these days are using the self-service influencer platforms like Aspire IQ, hashtag paid, um, a lot of these like CRM type tools that allow them to do a discovery filter by geography, demographics, and so on. I um, pay so, for one of them myself. I use yeah. Hype Auditor. Hype Auditor. Yeah. I, I pay it's, three. It's, I pay 300 a month and I yeah. to see how it plays to see how it plays from the other side. And so that's the point is that like, you know, they use the software and so they're stealing your profile photo. They're taking your bio your, from your about section and they're putting it into their deck in that before they ever reach out to you. And then they're going to the brand and they're saying, hey, we think Roberto and these other 25 creators are going to be great. And so the brand says, okay, we like these five. Go reach out to them. And then the agency reaches out to you. Yep. So imagine what just happened. You do not have – a lot of creators think that when the brand is reaching out or the agency is reaching out that that's the first time this agency is, like, ever thinking about them. No, they already, like, did a huge and robust analysis. And and the, you probably already have a soft green light and thumbs up from the brand to work with you. And so you're in a tremendous position to negotiate. You have a lot of leverage because in a lot of times the brand has already said, like, let's work with them. Right? There are brands and, that have, I've found out – I've talked to friends who work at companies, and they've told me that some brands have whitelist. And that they have what I refer to as like a bingo book mm. of like, these are people who are clean and safe to work with and always deliver. Yep. And these are highly high profile targets and everything. And they have like a bingo book. It's like, you know, it's like, it's practically like they have a bounty on your head. It's like a go get them. Well, and it's also, they also have the opposite, Roberto. They've got too. the other type of list. They've got, don't work with those creators. They're posting controversial stuff on their YouTube channel or on their Instagram, you know, clickbait stuff or what. You or know, they've been difficult like, to work with or so. Or they've been difficult Dama. to work with. Yes, exactly. And so it's just like that you have to have that perspective because like if you are difficult in any way <laughs> of like, you know, some historical relationship that they work with you in, in years past or something. So again, the big takeaway here is that. Like you need to be analyzing your social platforms with a very objective eye. Like if there was a brand landing on your plat, they're not going to watch 10 of your videos. They're going to watch 30 seconds of one of them. Okay. And so like, you have to understand that, that, and realize like any piece of content that you put out there is fair game for them to just land on it, watch 30 seconds and be like, yes, this is the person, this is a good person for us. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, that might be hard to hear, but it's reality. It, okay? Oh yeah. I went through, right. um, a brand safety checklist of like nine light line items that can hurt your ability to work with a brand. And people were, I even made a print out of it and gave it to people at Vid Summit. I made a print out of it. And like, people were like, oh my God, this is so useful. This is thankful. And you're giving me this for free and it's a printout. It's like, yeah, and my website's on the bottom. Like, and uh, I made the content like 99, like 95% of the print. And then the bottom 5% of the print is my website, awesomecreatoracademy.com. So it's like, so uh, by the way, you can feel free to steal that tactic and make print flyers when you go to events. Like uh, I'm going to, I've got, I'm, yeah. I'm making one with like an NFC or NFC chip on it. So you can just tap Ooh, it and it goes to my, that's my fancy. newsletter URL. That's Boop. fancy. I like that. Yes. That's, that's fancy. I like it. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good with QR codes too. I'm like, people think yeah, it's yeah. like old fashioned. I'm like, I'm down. I'm down. Especially yeah. after we saw Coinbase. Like I'm like, yeah, they, Right, right, exactly, yeah, right. yeah. I'm like, bring it back. We're bringing it back. Um, we're taking it back. So no, I love that you said that. I love that you brought up like how brands operate on the inside and what they're looking for. Um, 
I've always had this thesis and I don't think that like, I do not believe that brands set out to screw over influencers. I do believe it happens sometimes, but I find that influencers underprice themselves more than brands lowball them. Brands often will like, if an influencer says, here's how much I want, a lot of times a brand goes, okay. And it's the influencer that's undermining themselves on price a lot of time. I hear people say all the time, and I've said, I'll just tell you, like some of my experience, I've had people, especially people who reach out to me, women, people of color, and they'll say, hey, I feel like I'm getting lowballed based on like my identity or optics or all that. And then I ask, who gave a price, you or them? I did. How are you being lowballed if you're giving the price off of that? Well, so-and-so got more and they should have paid me more. It's like, it's not someone's responsibility to pay you what somebody else is getting if you asked for less. And you have to know, let me help you tell you what you're worth and how to get what you want. And what you're worth is basically, here's what you want. Let's figure out how to get it or let's walk. Because I've heard people, they say, well, they say they only have this budget. I'm like, you didn't push and you didn't ask the right questions in the negotiating point. And again, some people, they take it, they eventually listen to me, believe it or not. They take it very hard. They take it very personally, but I'm like, but they know I have their best interest at heart. That's the important thing. And I'm like, and I'm not even charging them sometimes for this. And I'm like, I say this to people I know who I have a great relationship with. And I go, I believe that you could have gotten this amount. And I'm like, and if you think that what you deserve is so-and-so, what if I told you that so-and-so, you you think that's a fair deal. Yeah, I should be getting that. They're not even charging what they're supposed to. They're charging 30 to 50% less than what they could have gotten and you think that that's a good deal because you want their deal, they're not even pricing themselves right. And then they go, mm. okay, tell me more. If that's not cap, tell me more right. and tell me why you say that. And I'm like, well, let's look at what you didn't sit ask for. I asked them because they can't, they can't, some things they can't talk about because of NDA, but I asked the right questions. We go through line items and I'm like, you never asked this question. You never pushed on this. You never offered them this thing that would change the nature of the contract right that for the thing that you're doing that's the budget you didn't change the parameters of the deal which would change mm-hmm. the budget the budget right. exists within the parameters of the deal as it exists and as it's structured is the 100%. way i explain it to people yeah there's more budget if the parameters change it's paying for this versus paying for that right and you don't know what you don't know well the thing is <clears throat> i think there's a couple different current like kernels of, of gold nuggets in here, which is that number one, um, most people are get very trapped into this competitive pricing mindset where it's just like the only way in which they know how to base their pricing is based on what their friend is charging, right? They like go to a creator. Oh, you're a similar size as me. Like, I guess I should be charging around the same as you. And one of my favorite pieces of advice, which is very actionable to most creators is that what most people do is that a brand comes to them and they say, Hey, like how much for one integrated YouTube video, <laughs> right? Or something very standard like that. And the creator just spits back out a number. Oh, it's going to be 2000, whatever. Right. So not to mention all the other things you should be asking about usage rights, exclusivity, yada, yada, which, like you said, can change the nature of the deal. Um, the, The easiest way to get more money and get more budget is to ask some very simple questions. So first and foremost. Uh, how, how many other creators are you working with on this deal? And they say, oh, you know, we're looking to partner with 10, you know, 20 influencers. Okay. So you say, oh, interesting. So the proposal that you come back to them with is, yeah, you know, package one where you want me to just do one video. Yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be the budget you said, 2000. But package two, I could actually make three videos for you. Package three, I could actually make 10 videos for you and your creator and your head, you're thinking in your head, like, well, they didn't even ask for that. Well, that's the point. The point is that now they're thinking in their head. They're like, wow, we could actually hire Roberto for 10 videos and then we don't have to work with those other nine people. It's one contract, right? It's one email thread. He makes our life easier. We know he's reliable. And so, again, all it took was Oh, and we have multiple, like, recurring hit points instead of being spread out. It's like multiple touch points with the viewer. Yeah. And you tell them, like, I am more than willing to meet with your team quarterly. We'll go and analyze the success and results of the last campaign. We'll adjust. We'll make course corrections. We'll update the brief. We'll update the call to action to try something slightly different. You could say, hey, I got a bunch of comments on the last video where they at they were saying, hey, Roberto, I wish you would have, like, talked about this feature a little bit more. Boom, there's some new content you create for the next pulse. Bingo. Right? And so it's just, there's so many different ways in which you can, you know, again, the other advantage of having, like, a package strategy um, is is that you can price anchor them. So they, you know, yeah, maybe yes. package three is 
you know, $30,000 and their, they said their budget was 3000, but package two is starting to look pretty nice now <laughs> by comparison that like, Oh, 10,000, actually that maybe we could like stretch our budget to get. And to the that, other thing know? is don't like, you can, you can use questions to drag out. You don't have to go to pricing immediately. You can also even like pitch the creative and then you can uh, like, you know, even, and sometimes you can just ask them what the budget is. And then you can start to move the goalpost and the needle based on that and saying, because one of the things I've told people is like, if you, if the brand is on your whitelist already, if it's on your dream 100 list of relationships and it's a yes for you already, start the call very early with all the reasons that you're, you and the brand are a great fit and how great it is, especially if they reached out to you first and mm -hmm. thank them for that and say, look, the thing is, I want to work with y'all. And then you give them the creative pitch on here's what I'm envisioning and you sell them on the vision. And you've also yep. said yes. And then you say, okay, let's talk logistics. What do deadlines look like? All right. How many people are you working with? What do you need? And the thing is, well, and then you say, Hey, remember, I already said yes to you. I, I already want to work with you. I just need you to be straight with me. What's the budget look like? And I'm going to tell you what we can do. Cause mm -hmm. like, and you've already crafted this great vision. You've already got them sold on this vision, wanting that. Now it's their game to lose, and they did yep. come to you. And that's mm -hmm. a really strong position to negotiate with, to be able to ask for what the budget is. And the thing right. is, you haven't laid out all your cards in terms of all the options, all the exclusivity, all of that, which means if the budget doesn't meet, meet the number that's sitting in your head, or God forbid, even if it exceeds the number you were thinking of, you still have wiggle room to throw in mm -hmm. options to sweeten the pot, or you can yep. ask for, okay, and you can say, typically what I would do for what all we've discussed already and for the vision that I painted on the deliverables and the creative, it would normally be this price. What can we do to get there or closer to that? And what mm. do you need from me? Or did you remember that I have these other platforms? Did like, those are strong. And you tell me, is that not like, you know, tell me if that's a strong place to negotiate from. The, the other, yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that I think is really, uh, critical. There's this concept called value stacking, which is that um, you don't lead with the price. <laughs> if you lead with the price, it's always going to feel like a, an expense to them. You don't want them to feel like it's going to be an expense. You want it to feel uh, my favorite, like little uh, kind of vocabulary, you know, kind of hack, I guess, is that any, you're never again, are you going to say the price is this, the cost, the fee, the rate, take that, all that vocabulary out. No, it's the investment. The investment ding, ding, is going to be 10,000. Because what does that imply? That implies they're going to get a return on this investment. I need a that bell sound effect to celebrate yeah, when you dude, say stuff like we that. Get, need... Exactly. Because honestly, the other thing too is that when you think about all of the, the value that you're going to provide to them, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to help you think through your marketing strategy. I'm going to do this many posts. I'm going to yada, yada, yada. Boom, 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 boom. Here's all the things. And then, oh, by the way, the investment is going to be 10K. Right. And so again, you're not leading with the, with how much it's going to cost them. You're leading with all this. Uh, like, so like you said, there's this amazing book that I want to recommend everyone listen to uh, or, or read. It's called a hundred million dollar offers by Alex Ramosi. Uh, and it, the I subtitle love his is, channel. I love yes, his YouTube channel. Alex's channel is amazing. And the subtitle is how to make offers so good that people feel stupid or dumb saying no. And it's just like, it's this concept of like, how can you just like smack them over the head with all this value that they're going to get? And then they just feel like idiots not saying, not accepting this. And so it's very much in alignment with what you're saying. It's just like, you have to think about this stuff when, when you're getting into these negotiations. Speaking of value and value stacking, you can also do value stacking in your own brand and in your own optics, because here's part of a point of leverage and people don't understand points of leverage. What's the value of you promoting yourself instead of promoting them? How much money do you stand to make? And is that clear? I'll give you a primary example. Uh, with the coaching and things I offer, I don't even know offer a course yet. It's coming, like more than one. Uh, they're coming. But I don't offer a course yet. But even just buying 90 minutes of my time is hundreds of dollars. It could border up to 1000 Doing a multiple call package with me is multiple thousands of dollars. And that number after this year and after inflation, I'm doing a hold on pricing for inflation up until the end of 2022. So in 2023, my rates go up. So I'll give you a break on inflation, but for a limited time, <laughs> for a limited time only. So buy me now, I'm cheap. Uh, but uh, I digress. The point is that I tell creators in general, from a monetization standpoint, that they should have their own product ecosystem, whether that's merch, digital stuff, um, exclusive things, even fan things of like, hey, uh, like even if you don't do coaching, offer fans a buy-in to some exclusive experience where there's only 10 people that get on a call with you, build 
pricing, high ticket pricing into a fan club for like hardcore fans only set up things where they get massive discounts on your deep discounts on your merch, or you literally even send them. Like you can create a big package where like a couple times a year, you literally send only 20 people like a freaking ship them like a crate of stuff from your brand and stuff like that. But also they get access to live calls with you or whenever you do an event, they get a free ticket. And that's like a big thing and they can pay for that recurring. And the reason you want to do this is you want to up the value of your own ecosystem and you want to put yourself in an ecosystem position either on volume or value of it. Hey, if I want $10,000, I could promote my own thing to my audience and make that money. So if a brand wants to work with you and you want more than $10,000, I would say that's like if you can prove and it's obvious that your own brand promoting your own brand is worth that for a single video or more. That's a very good position of negotiating. That's a very good position of leverage of, you know, if you offered me five grand, the thing is, if I get one sale for myself on my highest value offer, I make seven grand. So five grand isn't going to do it for me to give up some creative control. I could just make a video of my own, uh, uh, no deadlines, no pressure. So it's got to be more than that. That's a good position of leverage. You might not even have to ask if you already have made your va- your own brand valuable enough because mm-hmm. also it's the headache for you. If you mm-hmm. know in your heart of hearts, because I price somewhat on my boundaries, like Justin, I price a little bit based on my boundaries. And if you know in your heart and hearts, you know what? I can just make a video that my audience is going to love and my audience is going to support me directly. It becomes harder in some ways to take less money. And that's a good place to be of that's 100%. not enough money to motivate me to like put something in front of my audience that's not just myself because Mm -hmm. the higher the value is of you just rocking with your audience and doing it within your own brand then you get more boundary and leverage to say that's not worth it for me to um make a video that i didn't specifically have it in my heart to make on my own right well, I mean, I think the there's actually they actually have a, a a term for this in negotiation psychology called your BATNA, which is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And so it's this exact concept that you're discussing, which is that let's say you're in a sponsorship negotiation, and you know what it what is your best alternative to a negotiated agreement? Well, if you can't make this deal work with this brand, like you said, you go out and you make a video for yourself. <laughs> you have maybe you have affiliate revenue streams, you have other digital products, you have whatever. You have these other things waiting in the wings, and so you're not desperate to take this deal. Creators ask me all the time, like, well, you know, what are the red flags of like walking away from a deal? And like one of the biggest ones is that you don't have any alternatives. You have to do this deal to pay your rent or like pay your car bill or something next month. And like that's never a good position to be in. And so one of the best ways to be able to feel confident asking for more money on sponsorships and things like that is to build up some of these other revenue streams so that you are diversified. Exactly. I like having a bunch of um, affiliate revenue streams like my two biggest affiliate revenue streams pay more than $2,000 a piece. One of them pays, as you know, two buddies, like over five grand. Kajabi's like uh, over two now. If I build up another uh, stream comparable, then it means that recurring monthly, I do nothing and I make money becomes 10 grand all of a sudden. That mm-hmm. pays the mortgage and some bills and like some things. That uh, doesn't necessarily pay my team, but that's what selling things are for. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then there's ad revenue and there's things like that. Ad revenue pays taxes, blah, blah, blah. So I structure... There are income streams designed there for every expense, every big expense that there is, there's a different solid income stream that can cover that. And I like those to almost be even as passive as possible. Mm -hmm. And then, so whatever I go out and work and hustle for with a brand or uh, an event or whatever it is, or, or even consulting, whatever it is, I like that to not be tied to something that is dependent that has to happen. I like to say, well, that lets me do something else that lets me invest somewhere else that lets me invest in equipment, a new team member that's th- like whatever it is, or a project to hire contractors, whatever it is, right? I like the idea of knowing personally for me that even when I need to take a break during the pandemic, I didn't have to hustle and make the same amount of YouTube videos. I made less right. and I made less on ad, but actually, actually I made about the same on ad revenue, even with less uploads. Now that I think about it and less views, mm-hmm. uh, the value of the, uh, CPMs went up the, um, <laughs> The, the the thing is, though, the fact that my affiliate income was not changing in any drastic way made a big offset difference. My existing right. brand relationships and me fulfilling those made a difference. And the fact that I still was doing my coaching, my membership, my consulting, those things all worked 
out. So my income did not decrease. My potential might have compared to my uploads, but my overall income didn't increase. If anything, it increased. Right. But so did the value of my brand equity too. And so there's a lot of things creators can do to protect their income. And this is why, as much as it's said otherwise, this can be more stable eventually and more reliable as long as you do it through the correct methods that right. we're talking about that we frequently teach. Mm -hmm. It can be more stable Absolutely. than a nine-to-five job because more would have to go wrong in the world than a boss screwing up the business or the economy or regulations screwing up the business or yep. some or the politics of the company and your supervisor deciding they don't like you. Right. Or you offended them or or whatever or that you weren't productive enough today for whatever reason, you can be fired on a whim. You can be fired through no fault of your own. It is much more difficult for your creator income streams to vanish, and you will have more than a 24-hour heads up if it's going to happen for the most part. Right. So 100%. you will know. So I, th I think that the creator economy is great. I think that what you're doing is amazing. You know I'm a big fan of yours. Um, Appreciate this is going to uh, be uh, like more or less the end for the audio version. I know you have to uh, like run, but uh, do you have time for like five minutes of Q&A yes, um, outside the audio for our live audience only? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to queue up our exit music. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank the audio only listeners we're going to go to the live q a this is why you want to be subscribed on youtube you want to join us whenever we're live set on those notifications you never know what i'm going to be up to and who i'm going to bring on but we're going to move to that and i'm going to do the outro you guys stay awesome and we'll catch you on the next one this episode has ended but your creative journey continues visit create something awesome today.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show all designed to help you create something awesome today.